Hello and welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about the culture war, politics and anything else that comes up. We have a very special guest today, my top sponsor, now my top guest, the top G, it's Thor Holt. Thanks for doing the show, mate. Yeah, no worries. I don't think I quite deserve top G billing. I've done no no jail time. That is true. I just, I gave you a, I was doing you a solid there, mate. But Thor, you've already told me off several times before we even started for not capturing the, the raw bants before we started. Thor was trying to take over my podcast. But um, I didn't know how to introduce you because this is one question that people have asked. So you probably know Thor from the Weekly Skeptic or London Calling or my podcast because he advertises so much on our shows, which we greatly appreciate. But I often say, I don't know, even know what Thor does. I don't know how to put it in a sentence. So how would you describe what you do? I create freedom exits or... I'm working towards freedom exits with free thinkers. And that might be an actual business venture that we're looking to take to an exit position, or it could be just a mental framework. So, for example, if I have someone referred from the Free Speech Union, maybe an academic, a journalist, um, whoever, somebody who's going through a shitstorm in life, whether it be you know a cancellation shitstorm or a business shitstorm, it's about listening to them and helping them reframe their situation, often with metaphor, but it doesn't have to be, and create, invert commas, a freedom exit in terms of how they're thinking about the situation. So it could be anything in between those two things. So I've got maybe, well, realistically, three business projects that I have a stake in of a varying size, and we are moving those businesses towards an actual financial exit. So freedom, fuck you money. Uh, but yeah, day to day, a lot of what I do is working with individuals to help them reframe situations. So I had a guy on a call just before this who is in the running for a manage, managing director role, his first MD role. And it was about helping him think that situation through, get the right questions to ask, build a plan to differentiate himself and hopefully land that role. Um, the way his head was at was, well, I've never been an MD. Why am I even in the running for this? How am I going to do it? So my role there is to take him to a place where he's like, fuck yeah, I'm the guy for this job, and here's why. So we're putting together the questions and the plan together over the next, I guess, 18 hours to give him the best chance of getting through. So that's, you know, on a couple of different levels, that's what Thor does. All right, all right, very interesting. How do you, how do you get involved with all these cancelled people and skeptics and stuff? Because you, you seem to work a lot with the, the cancelled, the deplorables. How did that start? I think... Uh, realistically, I when I was younger, I wasn't particularly politically aware. But the thing that really woke me up, man, was was Brexit. Like I remember waking up on the morning of Brexit, and people in businesses who were like friends of mine, people I'd collaborated with on projects, were calling people who voted Brexit like like me. I'd probably change my mind now, to be honest. But that's a whole different set of stories about how we've been let down by the alleged Brexit. But yeah, I woke up to see stuff on Facebook, people basically calling us Nazis and things, and just thought, oh, what the fuck? Where does this come from? Like, I didn't vote Brexit because I'm a Nazi. I voted Brexit because I thought it would be good for Britain to have more independence in how we dealt with um, trade and things and, and have control of our borders. So that was kind of the most shocking and the thing that really politically awakened me, I guess. Um, and then there were various other experiences over the years since uh, actually, there was something as well that I knew, I kind of knew Trump was going to get elected. And the reason I knew is as soon as he started talking about illegal immigration, and that's because of my experience of working in the US, speaking to working class people and finding out that what they cared about was their standard of living, their wages and illegal immigration. And these were people who often were immigrants themselves, Hispanic people, people of color, etc. So yeah, I guess it was that period from kind of 2016 onwards. Um, I first ran into Toby and James, though, because I used to run this writer's podcast back in the day, I guess, again, 2016, 17, and they were both on the show at different points, and that's how I got involved in the Free Speech Union, because when Toby was setting it up, he asked for some, some thoughts from me, and I just ended up operating behind the scenes. I'm not on the website or anything, but just in my kind of coaching role, it sort of naturally fell into place, and that indeed, sir, is how we met, because... Yeah. Yeah, go on. 
No, are you, by the way, are you doing this on your phone? Because I'm, get, I'm getting motion sickness just looking at you. Kind of, <laughs> your shot is shaking. Oh, my producer's going to be have a nightmare. Is, are you doing it on your phone? Yeah, I do everything on my phone. It's total renegade. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. My producer will complain, but um, fair enough. It's uh, Thor's a renegade. We can't. You can't be contained by desktops or laptops, people. This is, this is what we're learning. Um, all right. So then, so from 2016, so you're another person that was radicalized by Brexit. I was accusing Belinda of that when she was on the show. She's part of Reform UK, and you were just like, "Hang on, this is weird." Suddenly, I'm I'm just a normal guy, and now I'm hated. Were you actually pro Brexit, or were you just sort of disturbed by the response to it? Well, I did vote for Brexit. As I say, if I had my chance to vote over it again now, I'd vote against it because what I've seen is we didn't get the real Brexit that I thought we were going to get. There's no control of borders, which benefits poor people, by the way. Anyone that thinks you're a racist for wanting to control borders has no appreciation for the working class. And I do. I was born in a fucking 10 foot by 12 foot wooden hut. I was born in total poverty. I have no time for these people that tell me I've got privilege. It's just total bullshit. Um, so, yeah, uh, what was the question again? What did you just ask me? No, I was just saying, yeah, did, were you actually, did you actually vote Brexit or were you just sympathetic? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I voted Brexit because I thought it would give us that independence, etc. I, I wouldn't vote Brexit again because all it's really done is it means that it's a pain in the ass if you're overseas and you're a Brit. You, you, you fall foul of the 90-day rule or whatever it is. And also, medically, it seems to be a pain in the ass. I was in Marbella this weekend. Um, I'm getting involved in a retreat business down there. And on Saturday, mate, bloody hell. Did, did I tell you about this already? I don't want to bore you with my story again. Don't think so. I, I've got this wee issue with my spine, and typically it's okay. But on Saturday, I'm sitting having a lovely Greek salad um, next to the harbour with the lady who owns the retreat business, and I get this pain just gets more and more intense in my groin, my stomach, my back. My legs go numb, and I, I have to tell her, I'm like, look, something's going wrong with me. I need... Maybe could you take me back to my accommodation? So she got me in the car and we started whistling along back towards Marbella proper. And basically I spoke to somebody I know back home, a nurse, who said, look, maybe the cyst in your spine's burst and you might have sepsis because I'm starting to feel faint. So we went and tried to find a hospital. But the first hospital we got to, they were saying uh, passport, etc. when they realized I was British. I mean, I didn't have all the right ID and I didn't have whatever insurance they wanted. They basically just sent us packing. So that seems to be the deal that Boris and Co have negotiated is you get treated like a second-class citizen and you can't live in Europe anymore. Anyway, end of the story was I ended up in an ambulance, getting taken to Marbella, got some great fentanyl. Big fan of that stuff now. And uh, <laughs> we'll probably get taken down for saying that. So yeah, You and George Floyd. It was a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. And the only thing that got a laugh in, from the theatre staff was when I pointed out, fuck Boris. And that got a laugh from everyone in the uh, operating theatre. So happy days. Uh, but here I am back in the UK and now having to go private because the NHS are entirely unable, it seems, to scan my spine and work out what is going on and what might have happened to be at the weekend. So that is Britain, wow. Britain a total clusterfuck as far as I'm concerned. Man, well, you freaked me out. I didn't know about that. So are you all right? Are you feeling better now or, or not? Or are you waiting? Um, well, I'm all right. I mean, it's a bit of a... I hope you don't mind swearing on this show. I've already sworn a few times. It's a bit of a head fuck, to be honest, because when you don't know, uh, I mean, the symptoms were the ones I described, but then they got a bit more interesting. I was unable to walk. I ended up just lying on the floor of this hospital. Uh, I started getting facial paralysis. Not, not full paralysis, but I couldn't form words anymore. And I was getting chest pains. That could have just been a panic attack. I mean, it was pretty scary, starting to think maybe my body's just shutting down on me. If like septic shock, I guess would be what I thought it might be. Ended up feverish, etc. So no, I, I feel fine now. Nothing major going on. So yeah, all good. Wow. Um, okay, that's all right. Well, I hope you're all right, man. That's freaked me out because I've got health anxiety, so it's freaked me out on <laughs> on your behalf. Um, all right. Um, well, I've just, so I've just put a total downer on the podcast then by by bringing in. Uh, medical anxiety so now the two of us are going to have to try and like counsel each other through this medical anxiety that we both got and we'll go through an escalation ladder where by the end of this show we'll both be having an actual on-screen panic attack but the <laughs> idea that will go viral <laughs> yeah that'd be good um so what i mean what do you do when you when you start working with people i mean because you've um i spoke to you about it once and you kind of ask people a series of questions because because you sort of you, in your coaching capacity you kind of what what is how does it work with that when you're working with individuals? I think 
just a couple of simple things to begin with is I'll ask people what their story is and then I'll just shut up because it's amazing what happens when you genuinely listen and, and really give a fuck about what someone says. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, Nick, but a lot of people are simply waiting for their chance to put their point of view across or their idea across or their solution across. So the first strategy for me is what's what's going on, man? What's your story? That's where I'd begin. And then after that, again, I would keep it simple. It's what do you want? And I, would, I often come back to that. I, I worked as a volunteer during COVID and a bit before as a volunteer mental health counsellor for a charity based up here in Scotland alongside the stuff I do for the FSU and it's the same thing I would often just come back to that it's like yeah but what do you want though because it's easy to just go off down a road of feelings and things which is cool I mean you want to you want to get through those feelings but at the end of it yeah but what do you want though so that's kind of my starting point is what's your story? So let someone unpack their story and then what do you want? And then we see where we go from there. Sometimes it's structural. You know, if someone has a strategic presentation they need to deliver, whether for career or for pitch or some commercial outcome for the business, well, that's fine. I, I have structures or I can bring in structures. But you don't, you don't want to assume. What's the old, there's that saying, isn't there? Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Like if you went to the doctor and you just said, oh, I've got a bit of a sore back and they instantly stuck their fingers up your ass, you know, checking your prostate. Well, you'd be a little miffed. Like you want them to <laughs> ask more questions and do some more listening first. So, yeah, that would be my approach. All right. Um, and I remember you asked me both those questions. What's your story? What do you want? And I was incapable of answering either of them, which is quite revealing. I remember Jordan Peterson saying that people who are high in agreeableness, who are very high in agreeableness, might have a bit of a struggle saying what they actually want because they're sort of they're not used to thinking like that. They sort of go along with things, and I've certainly found that really hard. Like if um, situations present themselves, and I'm able to sort of take the opportunity, but I've never managed to abstractly sit back and think, what do I actually want? I kind of I do things and move in a general direction by instinct, but I, I find that question very difficult. So maybe. Maybe one way to look at it, though, is it, it doesn't have to be like the meta, what do you want? Like at the end, the massive picture, it could just be in the moment, what do you want? So I don't know, for example, say the guy I was speaking about earlier, who's going for the first managing director role. What do you want, Ian? Well, what Ian wants is to feel confident for this interview tomorrow. You know, it's as simple as that. So, OK, well, what do we need to do for that to happen, Ian? I believe we need to look at this and this. But what do you think? So then it becomes just a conversation of, I mean, it's a conversation of equals. I'm not telling people what to do, but I'm helping him get his head centered around what he wants over the next 24 hours. Because I'm, hmm. I'm not sure I'm a full believer in this whole set a goal for the end of your life type behavior because so many fun things happen. So, for example, what happened to me in Marbella at the weekend? I mean, some people might say, well, that's terrible, Thor. That, that's scary. Yeah. But at the same time, definitely brought about a stronger bond between me and the owner of the Pilates retreat because she is a wonderful woman who stood by me even though she's only really just met me and she knows stuff about me now that she wouldn't have otherwise and I've had a bonding experience with her that almost certainly will mean we have a better business relationship I mean there's no way you could put that in a gold planner do you know what I mean well what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this weird attack in my bed in three years time and it's going to lead to x and y so life's got so many twists and turns, man. I mean, how could I have known I was going to meet you? You just don't know. So what might this podcast turn into? I don't know. Who might see it? Hopefully not the FBI. No, you know what I mean, though. <laughs> if you look at me for fucking ages, catch me on. Um, yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, that's not in Trump's art of the deal, is it? You know, have a weird attack, uh, lose feeling in your legs, close the deal. <laughs> Make a bond, close the deal. Um yeah, good point. So, um, yeah, and Scott Adams said you should have, because I'm kind of interested in all the coaching world as well, not just politics, you know, and uh, self-improvement and all that. And Scott Adams said you have to have uh, systems, not goals, was his thing. I think that was quite true, maybe systems, way of doing things. That, that's maybe not a bad approach. But like you say, a lot of it... Before you go on, I love Scott, right? I love Scott. He's been on, he was on my previous podcast twice or maybe three times. I really enjoy Scott. However, if he's really living by his systems... How did he end up with that fuck up 
video where he got he jumped on and started basically saying that white people shouldn't trust black people what system was he working when he did that because that's been good for business <laughs> he would actually um he would actually argue he was using a system he was doing a thing there a persuasion technique i can't remember what it is now but you, you sort of get attention which he certainly did and then you you reframe the argument he he he, he overdid it slightly he admits but he uh, he he still has a, a, a you know a rationale for why he did that, what he was aiming for. He may have got it wrong, but it, you know he had a, he did actually have a system behind that. Well, okay, but hold on, hold on. He lost like syndication everywhere. Like he lost all, he, he he lost as far as I could tell. He lost every way that he currently puts out his his output in terms of his cartoon business. So. His, okay. his cartoon, yeah, but he said that he wasn't making that much money off all those little papers anyway, and, and he still had put Dilbert on his own site, and his main money comes from elsewhere, and blah, blah, blah. So he still thinks that he won it. I mean, I haven't checked back on that in the last couple of weeks, actually, but yeah, I see your point, you know, he th- the best system. He thinks he won on the whole Vax debate as well, though. So he's he's talking out of his ass. Oh, and that was, this was funny, right? I'll say this here, I might as well. The lady who is with me is a fellow free thinker like us, and uh, one of the last things she heard me say as she as I went into the ambulance. Admittedly, I was on fentanyl by this point, but I, I was apparently shouting, "Tell Toby and James I wouldn't wear a mask," because I kept taking the mask off with my tongue because my hands were by my side. <laughs> COVID was twenty twenty. Take my fucking mask off. <laughs> That's mad. So they tried to give you a mask, which is insane, and then your last words were. Tell Toby and James I said no to the mask. Yeah, but then I got into the hospital and they said, oh, we have to give you a COVID test. And I says, I literally said, no, you fucking don't. I said, it's 2023. COVID was 2020. You're not giving me a COVID test. And the guy just did it anyway. He just forced me. He just like held my head and shoved it right up my nose. And I just went, yeah, C word. I won't say the C word on your show. But then I, I brought the room back by doing my bonus joke, though, and they all laughed. So I, I kind of loaded. <laughs> I really- Oh, and these people are beating me here. They could really screw me up here. They could leave like a pair of gloves up my ass or something. I don't know what they do. And they don't like you. But so yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a place to stand by the no COVID test, but it happened. That's the most the most Scottish anecdote. You're just in Marbella calling the people helping you the C word. Just like, just like... No, 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 no. I called Boris. I called Boris the C word. Oh, I thought you said when the guy tried to give you the COVID test, you called him a C word. And I just went, yeah, cunt. I mean, that's just Scottish. For... <laughs> that's nothing. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that he didn't even register that c word. No, 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 that was there. I hadn't twigged, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Um, that's hilarious, man. Well, yeah, I can't remember how we got into that now, but you're right. It's so 2020. What are they doing? Still doing tests and masks. And you're right, Scott Adams on the on the old vaccine. He, yeah, he said a slightly annoying thing. He said that um, anti-vaxxers, as he called them, got it right by just using a heuristic, a simple heuristic. Don't trust the government. And big pharma, but really, I mean, that's one way of putting it. Really, it's just common sense, isn't it? You, we assess the situation. You don't have to be a scientist. You assess the situation using common sense. This is another episode we can't put on YouTube. I've just realised it's all, all this all has to be bleeped out. I just, <laughs> I just really, you know, they're so weird about. Yeah, because we, because we're telling the truth. Well, let me tell you how I made the decision, okay? Because it's not how that did wind me up when Scott said that. He nearly got an angry WhatsApp from me for that one, and I thought, what's the point? He'll, he'll have a phone full of WhatsApps, and he's not going to care what I think. Can we call it the safe and effective treatment for now? And that's what I did in my yeah, episode yeah, yeah. with Tanya. So the really it's too late now. The really but. safe and effective. Yeah. No. What happened is when when they were first looking at the the V the vaccines, um, really safe early on, I did some research and found out that um, I didn't like the process involved in making it to begin with. The ones that I found. Uh, but secondly, I thought, well, common sense tells me that this can't have had many years in development. And one of my neighbours used to be a guy called Michael. I won't surname him, but he. Had been his mother had taken the thalidomide drug and he had, um, you know, hands on his elbows kind of thing, awful. And so I know that medical science isn't always correct. And so when I uh, first heard about how short the development window was, I thought, well, I smell a rat here. Like there's no way I'll I'll be taking these. And then I messaged probably my smartest friend. He's a very very successful commercial developer, property developer an ex-lawyer, very successful entrepreneur, and, and a great guy. And I messaged him. I said, hey, uh, Ray, what do, you, what, what do you think of these vaccines? I'd already made my mind up, but I thought I'll just double check with the smartest guy I can think of. He sent me a list of 10 reasons why there's no way on God's green earth he'd be taking them, including the ones I'd come up with, but he had a list of other ones. And I was like, well, that's it then. I mean, I'd already decided, but now I'm like double confirmed. They would literally have to drag me out with armed cops 
and stick the needles in me, well, they could, I, I'm just not taking it. So I don't get why Scott thinks that that that, that was the decision making. Pro- I mean, that wasn't the decision making process for me or anyone I know who's who didn't take it. I know plenty of people now who didn't take it, and none of them were just automatic. Oh, I don't trust the government. That's. I mean, who are those people? That's not. I mean, there's more of them now, but three years ago, most of us were like, well, most of what the government does is fair enough. So yeah, he's oversimplified it. Some people actually had the data and really understood it. Some people were medical experts. Some people were just sort of just got a sense of well, it doesn't look necessary for me. Looking, weighing it all up. But yeah, it wasn't quite as simple as don't trust the government or big pharma. Though, this, as he admitted, that's not a bad rule. But um, it wasn't as simple as that. Yeah, he did straw man that side a little bit. He he's a bit gutted that he took it, like so many people. Yeah, They're yeah. a bit gutted that they took it. So anyway, we like Scott. He came up also with this talent stacking thing as well, which actually it's kind of worked out in my life as well. On the back on more of the coaching stuff, I haven't done it deliberately. But the idea of talent stacking, if, if the listener doesn't know, is basically it's very hard to be the best basketball player in the world but you could be a great basketball coach or talking about basketball on youtube so you have like two or three things together so maybe for me that's with comedy maybe i couldn't be the absolute best comedian but then there's not that many people doing comedic political commentary so maybe that's maybe that's worked out there i mean you've probably done it as well you you seem to do about eight things at once well it's funny you should mention talent stacking because scott and i were talking about that on a previous podcast as in scott adams and i and I can't remember if it was me or him that came up with it. I think it was me, but I shouldn't claim it in, in case it wasn't. But I, I call it skill sex. Let your skills have sex and then see what has an orgasm. Same with ideas. It's like if you're having a brainstorm, just chuck the craziest ideas in, you know, the spanking, the BDSM, whatever, of the of the idea world. And just let them have sex and see what orgasmic results you get. So I agree on skills, though. It's the same thing, like in a career context. Kids, young people are always looking for, like, what's the right path? Like, what's the thing I should do? And I always say to them, just start, like just start with something and just see where it goes. You're going to meet people, you're going to have experiences, you're going to do qualifications, whatever. But it's when they're looking for that perfect degree course. It's like that doesn't exist. Even the kids that think they always want to do medicine, they end up dissatisfied. You meet them later, you meet them in their 40s, they often don't really like their career. They just got channeled into that path. So yeah, I love the idea of um, skill stacking as Scott would call it, and and just letting those skills join together and just see what happens. So yeah, by the way, though, I'm just going to push back on you. You were a genuinely funny stand-up dude. I, I watched the, oh, which one was it? I sent it to you. I WhatsApped it to you. I can't remember which one it was now. It, it, nine or 10,000 views. I mean, genuinely fucking funny. So do you not think you should be getting back into that world a bit more and just going on the actual stand-up circuit? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the it's been turned back on me. Um, the uh, yeah, the, I don't know which one that was. The comedy unleashed one has one hundred fifty thousand or something. That's one of the better ones. But yeah, I'm one. I said to somebody the other day, I'm the best comedian to have walked away from it. Because normally when people stop doing stand up, they're actually just a bit shit. Yeah. Whereas it, whereas I'm sort of acknowledged as somebody who could do it. It was on Comedy Central. Obviously, you know, got four yeses on Britain's Got Talent. It was a bit silly, but was playing all the big clubs. Weekends at the comedy store. It's really annoying now because people think I didn't do it. Someone said to, to um, someone I, w- I work with on headliners told me, "Oh yeah, I was in Liverpool." And someone said to me, "Oh well, Nick, Nick, Nick Dixon was not a proper comic. He never, he wasn't a proper comic." He's like, "He played weekends at the comedy store. Have you ever done that?" And they were like, "No." It's just like there's a rumor going around I wasn't a proper comic. It's like, mate, eleven years doing shithole gigs. You know what I mean? Staying in, you know, doing the frog and bucket in Preston or doing a club in Leeds and getting a five-hour night coach back. I think I earned my um, comedian status, thank you very much, 2,000 gigs. I think what you, but, on. you find is that um, often you're not a proper whatever if your political views are wrong. So my brown and black friends who voted for Brexit suddenly aren't proper brown and black people. Like I, I personally know multiple Sikhs and Muslims who are friends who voted for Brexit. And and it, it, it's like the, the arrogance of people who think that they can drop that. I mean, that they can that they can label people like that. It just it's mind boggling to me, mate. And they would call me a racist because I voted for Brexit. It's like, who's the racist here, pal? So when someone says, "Oh, Nick's not a proper comedian," because I'll bet you that's coming from a political place. That's not coming from having actually looked at your stand up and decided you were really shit. Because they can't do that fairly. Because if they actually go and look at your stand up, they'll see you were fucking funny. And what proves that? The audience will laugh their asses off. End, yeah. End of discussion. 
Well, I wouldn't have made a living off it for years and years, but but Daniel Sloss was the other one. He said that no one on GB News was a proper comedian. And it was like, we've got Simon Evans, who's like one of the most respected comedians in the country. Never mind me. You know, what about Simon? You know, just we can cite many examples. And that was just, like you say, purely political. Do you know what, though? Sloss is a great example. I I adore his comedy, right? I just, I, I worship his comedy. Some of his stuff, the jigsaw stuff, the one where he does that joke about turning over and seeing your partner and thinking they're dead, and if you feel even the moment of relief, ending the relationship, like it's genius, it's dark genius. And then I hear him on his podcast, him and Kai, and often they can be hilarious, but when they drop in the political stuff, I don't know, he he can't realize how bitter and how sad and small it make it sad, he sounds when he comes out with that stuff. It's just such a shame, because he his comedy is, I mean, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, genius level as far as I'm concerned, but then when he comes out with that stuff, I kind of feel sad for him. I'm like, where's that coming from, dude? Like, anyway. It's, yeah. It's ill-informed and it's paying your dues to the woke world of the comedy industry is basically what it is. It's just saying, I get what the right thing to say is to be in the in the group. And that's one reason I, I stopped doing comedy. I mean, thank you very much for saying I'm a good comedian, but it, it's just a horrible, horrible world. It, it was no, There was, no, there was a, nowhere for me to go because yeah. as I got in trouble for saying, you know, if you're the wrong type of person certain immutable characteristics plus opinions you're not really going to get anywhere in, in the in the business and so it was just there's just far more opportunity elsewhere doing these things where other comedians won't tread which is like gb news <laughs> most people won't go on it and so yeah but i will come back to i'm going to do we're going to do weekly skeptic live on may the 20th so we'll be doing sort of some live stuff but i don't know if i'll be doing stand-up or not um anyway it's not about me it's about it's about you thought although i would i would ask one thing i would ask is for people who are sort of creators, whatever you want to call them, and they're sort of artsy-fartsy dreamer types, what's the best advice for helping them actually monetize? This is something you've helped me with. It's like we have a sub stack, maybe you have a podcast, maybe you do comedy, whatever it is, but you're getting in there saying, why are you sort of leaving all this money on the table? So do you have any sort of advice in that area? I think the way I'd give advice is with a analogy, I guess. I remember going for an anniversary meal with my now ex-wife, so it obviously wasn't that successful, but it was a few years ago. <laughs> Went for an anniversary, for a big anniversary. We're at this really fancy hotel, and we got as far as the end of the main course, and the waiter came up with the bill. And I was like, dude, like we've, <laughs> we've just had the start in the main. He's like, oh, yeah, so sorry, so sorry. It was like 40 Towers or something, but less funny, and in the Scottish Highlands. Anyway, off he tots, right? And so then somebody offers a dessert, finally. And then um, it's coffee and fudge time. So my, my wife goes to pick up a bit of fudge. And as she picks it up, I see on this bit of fudge, it's got a bite mark. Pre-bitten fudge. Yes. So obviously I complain. And they're awfully apologetic and the next round of fudge comes out and i swear this is true this is going to sound unbelievable she picked up there was a thumbprint on the bottom of this one so obviously someone in the kitchen being like oh yeah complaining about the fudge a eh? type of thing anyway the point of this story uh, being me being me i then went to the kitchen and remonstrated and the bill was in in its dead but the point of it is it's the bit about service like when you go for a meal you're expecting to be offered the next course, right? And you expect it to be of decent quality. You don't want fudge that's got bloody bite marks out of it or thumbprints. You just want decent quality because, you know, you might actually be able to cook better food at home often, but it's about the service, right? So it's about offering the next course, offering the menu, offering the dessert, offering the coffee. You're not being hard sold to, are you? Like, in fact, you're insulted if they don't offer you the dessert. And that's what happened to us. They brought the bill, hadn't even offered the dessert. So what I would offer to you as a creative is offer, make the offers. Would you like to sponsor us? Would you like to buy our merch? It's just an offer. It's just like the next course of a meal. Now, don't make it shitty, you know, made in uh, Bangladesh by slave children, fudge with a bite out of it. Like make it something half decent. But if you offer, then we can, we have a way to give you money. A certain lovely podcaster that we both know that rhymes with coffee pod. <laughs> He's like, I tried to sponsor this show for months before I could get him to take some money off me. 
and then people like that they'll they'll kind of have a little bit of a bitch and a moan that it's hard to do business and hard to make money but you're not offering like at the end of every show he should be saying and maybe he does now after i had a go at him would you like to sponsor offer 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 it's just like a meal you know you're, you're actually not doing us a favor by not offering us ways to buy shit from you that's the point of my rambling analogy what do you think of that yeah it's good it's a good point because a lot of times people on more you know sensitive creative types are uneasy about asking for money they're uneasy about offering and uh they're, they're quite awful at it and yeah, they're quite unprofessional about it. Um, and I've, I've been one of those people. Trying to get comedians to do anything in a professional way is incredibly hard. And also, there's a stigma, especially in this country, anytime someone's doing something like that, it's like, oh, look at him, you know, Richter. asking for sponsorship. Yeah, Richter. yeah. Imagine you went for a meal, though, and the waiter's like, would you like a dessert? And you're like, grifter. Oh, he's on the fudge grift again. You expect him to offer you a dessert. Well, why not? why not the same on a podcast and i don't mean fill the podcast with adverts but offer the opportunity to sponsor it yeah that yeah sense. makes sense yeah fudge grifting not necessary but do make the offer That's that. do you have any similar advice for maybe this is me just asking all the questions i want but it's my show um for like negotiations and stuff i mean this is another place where artsy farty people can get screwed is like they get they don't get paid enough they accept some sort of ludicrous salary compared to other people that's just a, that's just a random abstract example i've made up but you know they, they they struggle with negotiations and you must have worked with that quite a lot yeah i have um the first thing well there's just a couple of really simple rules and one is you have to be and this is cliched advice but cliched advice for a reason you have to be willing to walk away like if you are more desperate for it whatever it is than the other side you're going to struggle unless you're just a phenomenal bullshitter or you're on some heavy-duty diazepam or something to keep yourself calm. So you have to be willing to walk away. And the other rule is he or she who speaks first loses money. And I mean names, numbers. So when, when someone's trying to get a number out of you, whether it be a salary or a house price, whatever the thing is, don't be in a rush to nail down the number. Try and see what they want. And there's a third one, actually, which is which can be... So if you're trying to buy something from someone, a house, a company, or whatever, ask them for their number, and then whatever it is, just agree. Now, I don't mean agree and do the deal. I mean, let's say, as an example, you're trying to sell me a car, and, and I say, well, what do, you, what do you think it's worth, Nick? So give me the value. Uh, 20K. Yeah, 20K. Okay, cool. Um, well, let's see how we can get to 20K for you, Nick. So I'm not saying I'm going to give you 20k. I'm saying let's see how we get there. So then I'm going to okay. tell me about the car, Nick. Like just tell tell me why it's worth the 20 because I I really want to help you here. So then you're going to start talking me around the car, tell me about X. Yeah. And, we, and we're having a rapport building conversation. And it, by the way, it's genuine. Like if if it really is worth 20k, I'm not going to try and fleece you. But to, in my head, I'm probably going there thinking it's worth 10, knowing me. So I'm looking for you to show me why it's worth the 20. And the chances are, as you try and show me why your car or house or business is worth number X, you're going to realize it's not actually worth that, which is fine. But again, I, I've not been confrontational. I've not been like, hmm, fucking 20, hmm, more like 10. Like, what's the point in that? It's simply going to antagonize someone. And there are different styles of negotiating, but that's certainly... My style would be to agree and at least metaphorically sit on the same side of the table as them and get them to show me why it's worth whatever the number is. Hmm. Interesting. And um, how does one get to position? Because this idea of you have to be prepared to walk away, I've heard that before, but, but how does one get to that position? Because you have to therefore have other business interests, other jobs or whatever that put you in a position comfortable enough to be prepared to walk away. Unless you're happy to just live on the street, you're going to have, and then, so how do you get into that position? Nah, I think you just have to have principles, but I am a maverick. I, I can remember in my early 20s, I had a, a sales job and I had it for about two weeks, mate, because here's what happened. Um, I had a photograph at the time in my wallet of my, I would have been probably mid-20s, I guess. I had a photograph in my wallet of my little nephew because like, he was a, I didn't have my own kids then. And my little brother and his girlfriend had a kid and I just worshipped the wee guy. Like, I, I love kids. I, so... I had this picture of this little fella in my wallet and um, I was sat at the morning sales meeting and the sales manager, I don't know how, but my wallet was open and he just saw it. He saw the picture of the wee boy who's now 
20 something and got his own kid. And he goes, what are you, a pedophile? Now that was his idea of a joke, right? But just something snapped in my head and I thought, if this fucker thinks I'm gonna be here selling units of X for his benefit, because he's the sales team lead and he's gonna be getting a cut of all our commission. I just walked that day. I just said, I'm not, I'm not working for you, pal. And he's like, why not? Well, I told him why not and I just walked, didn't have a job. Just walk. Like now, that's a that's maybe a silly example from years ago, but for me, it's the same as like I don't know the the COVID jab. Now I wasn't in a position where I'd be forced to take one for work, but I did have conversations with CEOs, for example, who asked me my opinion on it. I could have lied. I told them the truth, which led to the end of the projects I had with them and no future work. So I personally lost I don't know how much. I can't speak to the exact number, but many, many, many well, many tens of thousands of pounds worth of work over two years because I just told the truth about what I thought about the vaccine. So I'm not trying to make out some kind of saint, but for me, I'd rather have a clear conscience on that kind of stuff. That's what I mean by being willing to walk away. Sometimes it's in your favor, sometimes it's not in your favor, but well, the old cliche, what price integrity? Like, fuck them, fuck these guys. I'm not, I'm, not I'm not gonna bullshit and lie about that stuff just to feel good for some ESG touting BS merch. Yeah, and I, I totally get that because I've, well, I've walked away from jobs myself where I've said, fuck this, kick to laptop charger, then let, let, <laughs> that has been known to happen when the boss is just tyrannical or something. Yeah. And of course, there was no chance I was ever going to take the safe and effective treatment. There was no chance I was going to wear a mask. I was literally like, I'll go to prison over a mask. Yeah. Glad I didn't have to, because it would have probably been a bit edgy in there. I've watched some prison dramas and things that doesn't seem to go very well, but um, you know, I have to, you have to sort of attack someone on the first day <laughs> just to make make your presence felt but um but no, I, so i totally got... jail. if you're in scotland you nip to a lady's jail and bring down the uh, first minister so that is... that's it there's always that option <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but my thing there is so i've definitely done that i've definitely got all these points of principle no masks no safe and effective treatments will walk away from a job if you fuck with me too much but with me i have to be careful about being self-destructive so if i was just like prepared to just be like, right, I'm out all the time. I'll do that like every day. So I have to be like, no, Nick, let's be rational. Let, you know what I mean? So I have to constantly calm myself down from just walking away. So there's walking away, there's being prepared to walk away in a smart way. Then there's yeah. just pure self-destruction. I mean, you and, and you, to be fair, my example was a bit of a daft one because it was from my early 20s. If, if you're talking about now, I'm nearly 50 and you're talking about negotiating something. I mean, Yeah, I, I would stick with my point, though. You, you you just need to be willing to walk away. It doesn't mean you should walk away in a silly, immature manner. That's not what I mean at all. You you should have done your preparation, so you should know the genuine value of X, whatever X is, whatever asset it is, and you should be able to make a reasoned case for why it's worth that. But my point was more, let them explain why they feel it's worth the number they're saying, and in the end, psychologically, be ready to walk away. Of course, don't just walk away on a whim. That's not sensible and and in hindsight maybe i'd have dealt with that situation in my 20s differently but i don't think so it was, it was the best thing i mean i would not have enjoyed that job long term anyway so i was probably right to go with my principle well you're, yeah i was right to go on my principle but I would, i'd probably do it in a more mature manner now well i know i would so if, if you're talking about like negotiating a, a, a salary package or negotiating in a as talent in a tv company or whatever something more realistic for the type of thing you might be looking at yeah, I would, I would say you, you want to build the business case. You want to show the value that you're bringing, show the views, show what you delivered in your own shows or other shows that you're on. Say you would be with Toby, show the numbers. Um, and, and if you can make that business case and in the end you're willing to walk away, well, that's harder for them to, to fight against. But you can't, you can't argue with, you know, stupid. Like if they if they really don't get it and they really don't understand the talent they're dealing with, maybe you do have to walk away. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, right. there's not a magic answer. Yeah, yeah, it'd be funny if it, after this podcast I just walk away from everything. <laughs> Nick just quit everything. I, I so I was like, I didn't mean that. <laughs> no, I That's hilarious. I definitely don't mean that. However, life's a funny thing, isn't it? If you did do that, it's the old cleaning out your closet as the Moroccans say you got room for new clothes like who knows what would happen if you did that and neither of us can know and part of the magic of life is the unknowns like my Marbella experience you can't like you just can't legislate for that kind of thing you can't know who you're going to meet and, and that's that's the fun of life isn't it and that goes back to my point about 
maybe not trying to have some kind of master plan where you set massive career goals because it's sort of well firstly you just don't know what's going to happen so why why torture yourself and think oh i set a goal to be a billionaire at 30 and it didn't happen oh woe is me cut me own throat i mean nah yeah yeah i agree and just while we're on this what is the biggest sort of deal you've negotiated or you know most you know biggest deal you've been involved with or yeah i don't i'm not um I don't pretend, Probably secret. I don't pretend to be some massive deal maker. So the biggest piece of business I was ever responsible for bringing in was worth twenty point four million pounds sterling. But honestly, I mean, there'll be plenty of people who have been involved in bigger deals than that. The, the big win for me there, Nick, was the fact that we saved one fifth of that organisation's workforce from unemployment. Because genuinely, people matter more to me than money. And I, I know that sounds that probably sounds a bit wanky. I'll, I'll give you a, a daft example from what morning with it. Monday morning, I'm at Malaga Airport, right? I'm flying back. I've had the weird thing happen to me on Saturday. And I'm sat there and I'm starting to get some of the symptoms again, like the really early symptoms. And I thought, I know what I need. I'm from Scotland. I'll have a breakfast beer, right? So I get myself a beer. It's like 9 a.m. And there's this other guy in the queue behind me, similar kind of age, a bit of red face as if he'd just been down there for a few days as well in the sun. And he's got a Heineken in his hand too. And I said, hey, a fellow breakfast beer fella. Well, it turns out this guy is from Leeds, so we had a bit of a chat. I told him that I'd been in Leeds once and got beaten up but still won the fight because I had an MMA fight there about 20-something years ago. And we just bonded over this beer and MMA chat. And uh, then when we got to the counter, I just bought his beer. And he was like, oh, you don't have to do that, man. And I'm like, no, it's great chatting to you. Have a great life. Shook his hand. Off he went. Now, some people would say, oh, every pound's a prisoner. You spent five euros on that guy. You didn't know him. Why would you do that? What's the point? Well, the point is because it's how it makes me feel. Like, I just, what a brilliant experience. Was I worrying about my back symptoms when I was chatting to him and buying him beer? No. Did I go to my table having spent 10 or 11 euros instead of five? Well, yeah. But what's the value of that? I mean, there's, I, don't know how you, I don't know how you can price that, man. Like, that feeling. So I guess that, that probably, that's my Budweiser, uh, not Budweiser, my uh, Heineken philosophy of life that I've just expounded there. But that's that's how I see life. It's not about, yeah, not about how much money you gather. It's not about how much money you make. It's about the people. It's about those moments, those connection moments. Yeah, that's great. And of course, yeah, not Bud. We we, we don't drink Bud Light. That's a, that's a full boycott. Heineken. The, uh... It was Heineken. I, why would anyone drink Bud? I could give two fucks who, who promotes it, but it's the shittest beer on earth. I mean, it's another reason not to drink it. I don't drink beer, but if I did, I would boycott Bud Light now, but I, I'm already on a massive beer boycott that's lasted years anyway, so I, I can't do that. But um, yeah, that is interesting. That's a great story. It's a typical Thor aside, by the way, because I had an MMA fight in Leeds. It's like, <laughs> that's, not, that's not even the story. That's even crazy to me that you did an MMA fight, but that's a, maybe that's a whole other podcast. I, I really wanted to ask you, though, because you're a big fan, of course, of Toby's you know, London Calling, now the Weekly Skeptic, some say is even better, um, <laughs> um, it's but, and some say you're the thinking man's James Dellingpole and some say uh, like Gerard Butler but English and some say, yeah I know I know I know how this goes anyway so yeah yeah the, just <laughs> quoting things yeah but um no we like James I'm hoping James will do my show I'm not sure if he will or not really but um he might because I've had Andrew Bridgen on apparently you might respect that which would be which is good nice but um what I was gonna ask you on that is are you so for the listener that somehow doesn't know on a London calling, there's Team Toby and Team James, and Team Toby means you think everything's a cock-up and just incompetence, and Team James means you're, everything's a massive conspiracy led by Klaus Schwab, who's penetrating your cabinet. <laughs> uh, where do you stand, Thor, on that? Team Toby versus Team James. I think I, I'm probably mainly Team Toby, and I'll tell you why. It's because although I enjoy a lot of James's conspiracies, I know too many of the people in real life from that world. I, I have banker clients and have had banker clients. I have close friends that are in that world. And I I just, and I can't prove there isn't like a top level conspiracy, but I just think the cock up things more likely. I, I see what humans are like. They're, they're sheep. I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So my point is bankers are sheep too. Um, the, the big companies I have, clients who own or are managing directors of oil operating companies they come to me and they're like oh this fucking esg stuff it doesn't make any sense we've got to come up with a business model that makes sense of wind turbines it just doesn't make sense like they don't get it either but everyone's kind of getting dragged along like sheep here's here's my most recent example of this it's just human behavior okay 
I was at coming in Edinburgh Airport Monday, like I say, got through off the plane. We're in the passport piece, right? And you're waiting to hand your passport over. I'd queued for like half an hour. My back's bugging me. Thinking, shit, I really want to get out of here. I'm like two minutes from the from the actual gate. And I see over to my left a weird flow of people, as in the flow is no longer zigzagging. Part of the flow is moving straight forward. Somebody lifted one of those barriers, you know, the kind of bands. They'd lifted the barrier and people had started skipping. And once one person skips the queue, everyone's skipping the queue. So suddenly there's this rush of people. They just follow the crowd. And that's what people do. And people in banking jobs do it. People in government do it. They're all just following the flow. What, what would you do, by the way, in the case of where the flow has suddenly changed like that and people are following each other like sheep through the gap and skipping the queue? So they're, they're jumping ahead. They're, they're, the, they're the ultra rich in this case. They're skipping the queue. They're stealing the money. They're screwing the working classes of all colors, metaphorically speaking. What would you do? You're in that passport hall. There's maybe 500 people in there. What would you do, Nick? Well, my thing is the opposite almost to a pathological degree where if I see everyone doing something, I think they're wrong. <laughs> I think I'm going to look at it and assess it for myself and, you know, is it the right thing? And I think it's proved by the fact that I never took the safe and effective treatment or the mask. And I just, I just always look at things myself and, and, and pretty much don't follow the crowd. But you could almost say maybe I do it too far the other way and I just will never follow the crowd. But yeah, I, wouldn't, I, never, I never do that. What did you well, do? Well, obviously I went, hey! You're skipping the queue! You, blue shirt, get back in line! Now, what happened then is the lady in question, who happened to be the person going through the gap at that point, was like, because <laughs> she realized she'd been caught by someone. And the whole, well, I mean, tons of people had noticed this happening, don't get me wrong, but nobody else was saying anything, but I'm me. So obviously I did say something, and luckily my daughter wasn't there. She'd have been embarrassed, to put it mildly. Um, and I just kept shouting to get attention to it. And then I got security. I was like, hey, security, yellow vest booth three or whatever over here so basically coordinated it so security came closed the gap warned everyone said that they would get put to the back of the queue otherwise so then all the big roughy tufty bodybuilder types in the queue coming back from Malibu, uh, malaga were all like oh well done bro well done and i was thinking i didn't say it but i was thinking well why didn't you fucking say something i'm old man here nearly 50 standing here on me knackered back just out of hospital why is it why is it down to me to have to stand up for the whole hall because these tossers were ripping all of us off and they knew they were doing it. They didn't. They knew that that gap had only just been created, and they knew they were skipping the queue. But they just follow the other sheep. Once one sheep starts going, and that to me encapsulates the way the culture's going. There's a gap in the fence. Certain people are benefiting from it, and so people just pour through the gap, and they're all benefiting. The working classes aren't. They're still in the the zigzag queue. The working classes of all colours actually, and they're being set against each other using race and all this other bullshit, right? And they're just in the zigzag queue and they're never going to get to the goddamn passport booth. Do you know why? Because these fuckers are going through the gap and nobody's stopping them. Not so a, you think not the perfect analogy, but you, you make the point. So you think the problem is basically the 1% being selfish and, and also just following along with each other? Yeah, it's not, it's not just 1% though. I mean, there's a lot higher percentage of people that, that, that benefit. I mean, you, you can't say an MP is the 1%. They're on like 90 grand a year. That's not 1%. There's tons and tons of people that benefit from that, from the current culture and the current system and all the renewable stuff. And by the way, I have nothing against renewables. I'm not, I'm a hippie. I was born to hippies in a wooden hut, like I say. I, I love the environment, big fan of animals. I'm a vegetarian, have been for four years, don't tell James. I love animals. I'm really against animal cruelty. I'm a, I'm a big hippie at heart. But I also see batteries, cobalt mining, I see the other side of it. And to me, it doesn't make business sense, nor does it actually make environmental sense. That's a problem. And will I stand up and say something? Yeah, I do all the time on LinkedIn and other places. I try and make the point and I make the point with these people and fair play to these people. Some of these people are my clients and they will listen. Now, they're not necessarily going to change course because they're all part of that flow of sheep. So they'll say to me, oh, yeah, I really like their questions you ask on LinkedIn, but I can't say anything. Yeah, because they're on 200 grand a year or whatever, and they, they don't want to risk their job. Okay, well, I'm the guy in the passport queue that will say they're unsayable. And I, and I want to encourage other people to do that, but I can't tell them to. All I can do is role model it. I'll bet you there's a whole load of people in that hall who will be braver to call out bullshit in the future just because of what I did. And I'm not some fucking hero. It just seems to be the way I'm wired. 
So. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd have taken over and shouted out like you. I, I would, wouldn't claim to do that. I'm more of a sort of leave me alone kind of person. I, was, I recorded a podcast with Tanya Edwards and she was very much like shouting at everyone about the safe and effective treatment. Why are you taking this? I'm much more like, don't let make me take it. Don't put me in a camp. I'm not going to do this nonsense. I suppose though I do talk about it now for a, for a job. I constantly talk about it on telly and on podcasts. So I guess I do my little bit in that sense. Of course you do. I just, I had to shout out. I didn't have a microphone. It was a huge hall full of people, lots of chat. So I had to make myself heard and create an authoritative presence to get something done. It's contextual, isn't it? And you, you do it all the time. You do it to high numbers of people and you stand your ground and you've made a stand and you've cost yourself financially by speaking out for what you think's right. So that's not fair on you, actually, Nick. Yeah, fair enough. Although some of the Mark Stein fans would have me quit, quit, my, quit my job, which I never quite understood. But uh, maybe I get Mark on and discuss it. I really, yeah, I hope you do. I love Mark. I, I think he's great. I, I, I find all this stuff so fucking tedious. You know, the whole eh, Crowder versus whatever the guy's, Jeremy fucking Mark Stein versus, like, fucking get a grip, people. Like, there's some, there's real shit going on in the world. There's a ridiculous potential third world war going on that certain people are making billions out of, Ukraine, etc. There's real shit to be dealt with here. And, and we're having stupid internal wars in the supposed freedom side of, I mean, just yes, fucking get a grip. Yeah, I know. They never know enough about the situation and they just they, they follow one person's narrative and just make assumptions and like, why haven't you quit your job because of this person you don't know whose behavior is perhaps questionable? Yeah, it's, it's all anyway. We don't have to get into that. But Well, I'm, I'm um, here for them because this has really helped me. And that is listen to less political podcasts. Obviously, stick with the funny ones like Nick's and uh, London Calling and The Weekly Skeptic. I still do, but I am listening to way less. I, I hardly touch any of the American ones now, and I just listen to great music on Spotify. So good for mm. people just to listen to great music. So I do a lot more listen to music, and I'm a lot more chilled out because I'm I'm done with those guys, especially the Americans, all fighting over their $50 million contracts. Like, get fucked. Really- yeah, that was funny to the English ear that, that Crowder was, was insulted <laughs> by millions and millions of dollars. And we're just going like, how can I pay the rent in London? <laughs> I think Andrew Breitbart would be turning in his grave at that kind of thing. I really do. It's pathetic. It's fucking pathetic. Yeah, not, not ideal. Um, all right, so, you, you, um, yeah, so you're listening to... Le- I mean, I would love to listen to less of that stuff. Unfortunately, it's my job, but it is, it is pretty stressful. We are in a constant state of anxiety, many of us, about the state of the world. That's a question that I often ask. Is the country finished? I've asked this of so many people, and I've noticed if people own a house, they're a bit more upbeat, like Jeff Norcott. Maybe that's straw manning his position. He's like, I'm still optimistic about Britain, whereas young Callum from the Lotus Eaters, and we love Callum, he's 27, worked hard, saved, will never own a house, and he's pretty much like, yeah, this country's done. Where do you stand on that? Well, I read your article on it on Substack, which I'd highly recommend to people. What was the title of it again? England is lost forever. <laughs> so that's where I was. So, I, I mean, full disclosure, I own multiple properties. So that's, uh, I'm, I'll, as I say, full disclosure. So I, maybe that does affect my thinking. However, some of them are rental properties, and people that rent out properties, unless they're huge scale are pretty put upon to be honest and it's not actually a positive place to be in terms of cash flow often uh, it's, it's brutal the regulations etc the environmental stuff coming through so it's not as simple as it sounds it's hard to answer because a bit like when i say i'm mainly team toby i just want to believe the best and i guess i've to a degree trained myself to be an optimist because i've seen that that's the best way to get through life because if you if you sit around feeling negative about things and telling yourself that story, well, you're not going to have those moments like the guy with the Heineken. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not going to have those human moments. So I, I tend to tell myself a positive story even when things are pretty bad. So I'm going to keep telling a positive story about Scotland, about Britain. Honestly, I've got a more positive story about Scotland running in my head than I do about Britain. As a whole, I personally can imagine Scotland being a successful independent country. And no, I don't mean with the SNP in power. If my brothers listen to this, he'll give me a roasting. Um, I just think I believe in it as a place. It's a beautiful place. It's got amazing resource in terms of energy, wealth. And with the right governance, it could be an amazing, successful place. So I I am an optimist, yeah. And I just, I just tell myself a positive story. I'm lucky to be alive. All of us are. 
especially after the weekend I, I had, I feel even more appreciative of that. I just, what it was, I just posted on LinkedIn. You know, when people post like uh, that they've started a new job position as whatever, I think I posted like uh, happy to have started a new position as happy to be alive at motherearth.com or something like that and just left it. And it's getting loads of likes because people just get it. Like just be grateful for what we've got. So yeah, I'm not a doom monger, you know, and if people are, if people are feeling really doomed about state of the world, I say give yourself a week off all political podcasts. Just listen to your favorite music because, yeah, we might be doomed, but fuck me. Oh, you know, you know what movie would help as well. You know, did you ever watch Life Is Beautiful? Uh, I didn't actually. The Robert, Roberto thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit in it. Benini. The dad's getting taken away to the concentration camp, and the kids managing to hide. That'll make me emotional just talking about it. it blows my mind. He like goose steps away with the German soldiers to take the piss to make his kid laugh. And that's kind of, that's, that's aspirational for me. Like that's how I would like, sorry dude, that's how I'd like to be because no matter how shit things are, it's because I'm remembering the weekend and thinking I might be doomed. When I got the facial paralysis, I was like, fuck, this might actually be it. And so I got the lady with me. I was like, take a picture. I need a stupid face. I wanted her to have a picture to show my daughter of me we all wired up but sticking my tongue out and making a stupid face. I'd forgotten about the movie at that point. I've just remembered it right now. That's why I started getting emotional. But yeah, to me, that's that feels like my responsibility is let's keep making the clown faces to the end, guys, because what, what's the point in saying England's doomed or Scotland's doomed or Britain? Like, what's the fucking point? Okay, in that case, why don't you just go, I don't know, just, I don't know, what do people do? Just bug it off to some hot country and just live selfishly then. Go on. If you really think it's doomed, I say, you know, let's just, I guess, keep trying to live by example and just speak out, live as freely as we can in the context that we're in. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. You sort of remind me a little bit of Ant Middleton, this book I read about him um, on Everest, and he's in a situation where he doesn't know if he can get off the peak and if he's just going to die. And he realizes he's got this philosophy of like, this is a negative situation. If I'm also negative about it, that's two negatives and I'm, I'm screwed. So I have to meet it with a positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he found a way off the, off the mountains. So it kind of reminds me of that. I think, well, but how, I mean, to be fair to him, I heard him interview. Now, where was it? I think it was the Disruptors podcast, Rob Moore's podcast. And, and it was a really interesting interview because I think and certainly feels he's had an element of cancellation over the last couple of years. I think he maybe spoke out about COVID and some other stuff and he kind of lost various contracts and things. So fair play for him. I mean, I would I would never compare myself to someone like that. I the level of balls to do the kind of jobs they do, much as I don't like a lot of the military shit, I do respect the people that do it. And yeah, I would never compare myself to that. But so thank you for the comparison. But I get it. It's a psychological thing. Me, I like the idea of not meeting a negative with another negative story because it's like, where's that going to go? It's yeah. you might as well try and meet him with a positive and see what see what you can mix up. I like that. All right, I, I've only got two more questions, but what, but given that you do have multiple properties, and given that um, one might feel less negative if one did, how do, how do people who who are nowhere near the housing ladder? What can we do? To be fair, I am currently homeless because I separated from my missus um, around about Christmas time, so I'm currently just living in various friends' places and looking to get myself a, a little boat which I'm going to stick in a marina um, for 10 grand. That's a lot of house for 10 grand. You, you got you got something mobile you can sail around the world in. It's a lot of freedom for 10, 10, 11 grand if you know where to look and how to negotiate. So I'm not saying that's an answer for everyone. I have also bought a property before when I had zero money, and I mean zero. I mean nothing. Now, you might want to know how I did that. Follow, connect me on LinkedIn. I'll happily tell anyone the story and I'll tell you offline. I'm not going to say it here. It wasn't illegal. I had to fire my lawyer though. He said, this deal's too beneficial for you. You can't, you can't do this. And I said, why? And he said, the deal's going to fall over. And I said, well, I'm not asking for your negotiating skills. Um, I've already negotiated the deal. So the deal was the flat was worth 72,500 and I got it for 34,500, but I used none of my own money. And I paid everyone back and I still own that property. It still cash flows today. Now, I'm not some mega genius. I'm not pretending I did hundreds of them. But what I'm saying is there's often a way to create the whatever, whether it be a home or something else, if if it makes sense. So if someone says, well, yeah, but houses are 500 grand in this suburb, so I need at least a 20% deposit. That's 100 grand. I could never save 100 grand. Okay, I hear you. What if there was a place where houses were 100 grand? 
then what? Oh, but I can't live there. Okay. I mean, you, if you take Ant Middleton's thing, what they're doing is meeting the negative of the housing market with the negative of their story. Why not go, well, how could I live in a place for a few handful of years where property is significantly cheaper, where maybe I could find a way to create the deposit? And then how might I trade up later? I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different ways everyone's situation is different. If someone says to me, oh, I have to live in London, but I'm only on 20 grand a year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's going to be tricky to knock up a deposit big enough. But, you know, that's life. I mean, we, we can't reverse inflation and make houses worth 10 grand again. All right. Well, brilliant. Well, people can go to your LinkedIn for that, which we'll give out in a sec. But um, lastly, then, we've done it now, which is great. But I just want to ask the question I always ask, which is how do we win this culture war thing, assuming we're on the same side, which I think we are? Or is it not a case of winning it? Jeff Norcott said it's the wrong way to frame it. What's your take on that? I think I'd just go back to my my uh, Heineken story and my passport story. So for, for me, I can only speak for me. For me, it's about being the real human that I am and I'll buy the beer, I'll have the laugh with people, I'll tell a story for people, with people, I'll listen to their stories. I'll just be the most loving version of me I can be. When I was a youngster in my 20s, I was three, four stone heavier, MMA fighter, fucking lunatic, and thought it was good to maybe not scare people, but be a bit of a wider. I don't anymore. I would rather influence people through love listening to them. Sounds a bit hippy-dippy. I don't give a fuck. For me, that's how we, inverted commas, win. Like, if I, if I met Daniel Sloss, I wouldn't give him a hard time, but I'd just ask him the question. Same as when I met Stuart Lee, as in Stuart Lee the comedian. He'd done an amazing show, and he, he got to the end, and his final part was vomiting into the gaping anus of Christ. And it was so funny because of the way he built the whole, the whole uh, bit, right? And I, at the end, I said, Stuart, I'd love to buy you a beer. That was an amazing show. So I got him sat at the bar and I said, absolutely loved what you did there. But tell me the honest truth. Would you have vomited in the gaping anus of the Muslim God? And he just about choked his beer out, right, obviously. And then, and then he explained why he wouldn't. Now, fine. My point is, it's not about me winning him over. I, it's, that's not my job to change his mind. But it is my job to ask the question. And so that's how I live my life. So I, I don't know if that's going to win a culture war, mate. All I know is, you know, like in the passport queue, if you see something, just fucking say something. Other people will appreciate it. Everyone else in that hall loved me afterwards, but I didn't know that. I didn't know what was going to happen. I could have got beaten up. I could I could have got strip searched for being the awkward guy. In the, I, I don't know. So just go with what you know is right, but be the... Heineken buyer. That's that's my method. That's what I'm going to be doing. All right. Great answer. And a great podcast, I thought. Thanks so much, Thor. Where can people find you? This is the key part. I believe you've got Substack, you've got a Twitter. Well, not on YouTube now that we've talked about the VAC. <laughs> on YouTube. Now, the best place to get me is just to um, come along to LinkedIn and connect with me there, to be honest. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you find me on LinkedIn and you're interested in the Substack, it's invite only. We've got a few hundred people involved and it's, as I say, invite only. It's not publicly available. And mainly we use the Substack to put out Zoom links. So we just catch up typically once a week. We have encouraging positive meetups. Um, basically what I'm talking about, it's supporting each other. It's encouraging each other. We have some interesting guest speakers and we have open discussion. Um, yeah, it's it's free. Some people have paid a few quid, but it's not obligatory. Um, obviously that's welcome just to cover running time and costs uh, it's not a money-making venture for me though um but we do offer of course if people want to pay as we said but yeah i wouldn't start with the Substack. start with linkedin so just come and find me on linkedin what is it linkedin forward slash oh, thorholt basically plug thorholt into linkedin you're not going to be able to miss me yeah i should know it, the amount of times i've i've <laughs> read it out on adverts but it's something thorholt slash in there's a link yeah it's pretty easy to I'm find if they plug Thor Holt, Tango Hotel, Oscar Romeo, Space, Hotel, Oscar, Lima, Tango, you plug that into LinkedIn, you're going to find me. Not many people call Thor Holt, are there? Let's be fair. You're probably the only one. I mean, I've met two or three, but it's, <laughs> it's a pretty rare name. And then, and then they go to your substack. They were all peeing with Top G. There was three <laughs> Thor Holts and Top G, and they were all peeing. Amazing coincidence. Nah. Okay, good. Well, thanks for putting on the show, Nick. I really appreciate it. It was a good laugh. You're a good guy, and I can't wait to see you back on the stand-up circuit kicking Sloss's ass.
Thanks, mate. And for anyone who doesn't know, I met Andrew Tate in a urinal. That's a whole other story. But that's what that's what Thor was on about there. Maybe we'll save that for next time. But um, thanks, Thor. And if you want to get, get that story about how Thor bought a house for nothing, make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn. All right. Thanks, mate. Cheers. All right. That was Thor. Great guy. Great episode, I thought. Bit different from the pure politics episodes, though we did touch on that. But I thought it was very interesting. And by the way, you can find Thor at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt. I checked it. That's what it is. Or thorholt.substack.com and ask him how he managed to buy a house for no money, which is a classic Thor story. Don't think this will end up on YouTube unless someone fancies going through and bleeping out virtually all of it. But subscribe to the YouTube anyway. It's youtube.com slash Comedy. We have loads of clips up there now. Or if you're on the audio... Give it a five-star review, but mainly tell a friend to listen to The Current Thing, and then you can support The Current Thing. See you next week.